know, make sure you say hello to the church. And this is the first time you guys are hearing about it in almost a month. So, <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Oh, yeah, Gabriella says hello as well. <laughs> yeah, Austria looks beautiful. <laughs> um, and just also, just quickly, on tonight's uh, Bible study, uh, I, I really liked Tim Keller's teachings, but I really encourage people to attend because he does tackle the questions of our time, you know, that the really challenging ones that we sometimes don't have the answers to and we, and we kind of wrestle with. So I, I think you, those who attend will get quite a lot out of it. Um, but before I begin my message this morning, let us just uh, bow our heads in prayer and just commit our minds and our hearts to God this morning. Almighty God, we come before you, Father, asking that your spirit is here with us and it teaches us, Lord. I thank you, God, that we don't have anything else to rely on to be good or faithful disciples other than your word and your spirit that guides us into this truth, Lord. I thank you so much, Father, for your son who has laid down his life for us so we can be redeemed and have this close fellowship with you, Lord, that we had this morning together in this church, but no doubt that other churches around the world are also fellowshipping in your name. So I thank you for that privilege, Father, and I pray that this morning the Spirit speaks to your people, and it's not my words, but it's your words that go into their hearts, Lord. In your precious name I pray, amen. So I've been doing a lot of my own um, personal study of the book of Genesis. And like a lot of things where I try to make sense of them, it just creates so much more questions for me. It's kind of like, like the atom when they thought that was the smallest particle. They cut it open and a bunch of other stuff just came out that they had to look into. Um, so however, in saying that, it's been a pleasure to try and understand this book a book that comprises of so many chapters, and yet I can't even get past the first three, just because of the complexity of the, of the writing. But it's still so relevant for our time today. It's not something for us just to gloss over and forget about it. I think sometimes as Christians, we get a bit desensitized to the word. We kind of just, you know, oh yeah, I know this. But it really takes a bit of careful study to understand what it's really saying. You know, in, in a world where we greatly debate God's existence, spirituality, the meaning of life, all these big questions, and in many ways, science these days is, is the great authority explaining how things work and, um, and the function of, of our world. But science isn't the only authority on this. And I know with scientific discoveries, they, they use those findings to, to interpret our reality but for me, I do believe that science and Christianity have a relationship. But for, I don't base my, my life on that one co complete authority that I'm told out there that this is my reality. But I'm not here to debate this. I'm just, these are just some of the things that come into my mind. They come into question as, as I begin to unravel what's, what's in, the, this, in this book called Genesis. Now, the reason why I want to bring this up is also because Genesis was written especially for a purpose. So a lot of the times people can't see how science marries with 
the Bible or Genesis. But I think we need to understand that the book of Genesis was not written as a scientific book. That was not in their minds when they were writing this. It's written in a period of time where there were surrounding cultures like Egypt, Mesopotamia, where, where they all had their well-established ideas of God and, and reality and a whole bunch of things. And then Genesis is a response to this. It's a response to their culture, and it's carried forth to us now. So like I said, it's not about a scientific book. And although scientists draw from it, it's an expression of faith. It's a declaration in the belief of one God revealed to the writers or writer of the reality of humanity and his existence. Now what's interesting is this whole book is divided into 12 chapters about creation and the fall. But then the rest is all, all about the patriarchs of Israel and it's the foundations of their whole society, God's covenant, a reminder for their setting in time and also for us. There's so much to say about this and I'm not going to, I don't want to um, go too much into all of this. Uh, if you want, come and see me. I can give you stuff to read if you want. Um, but I want to focus on one or two verses of scripture in Genesis. And approaching these two verses, I've had to, I think with all of scripture, we need to approach it with a bit of humility, not to say that I know this is the exact right answer. Even though there is concrete truth in the word, I think sometimes we are concrete in the wrong things that we get. So I approach this because I know that this has been greatly debated for a long time and still is about these verses. So Dylan, if you want to chuck up uh, the verses. So it is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Like I said before, this is something that has been very widely debated. And I'm going to introduce you to a term, and I have no doubt that you've heard it, and it's the Imago Day. Put your hands up if you've heard that. The Imago Day. I-M-A-G-O-D-E-A. -E okay. I, th I, th I genuinely thought more. But this is the, this is the terminology used to, in Latin, Imago image and day God. So the image of God. Now, what I want to look into here, what is the image of God? And, you know, why should we not just gloss over this portion of Scripture? Because it's very relevant for us when we dig deeper into this. Now, I'm going to use the word Imago Dei a few times, so hopefully that'll sink in. So understanding this actually, I believe, brings us closer to God and a greater understanding for His purposes for us. 
Now, I've heard many Christians use this terminology, the image of God. I've heard Christians say, we are created in the image of God, therefore, dot, dot, dot. And we use it to justify certain things maybe or explain away other things. But I've never really always been happy with what I hear about this. Now, as complex as this is, we need to start somewhere. God didn't give us this to not be able to understand it at all. So let's look at the word for image that is in the Hebrew. And it's salem, which refers to the representation or likeness. Or the other one, demut, which is meaning similar in appearance. Now, in the ancient Near East, when this was written, there were many images and statues depicting gods and God. When you looked at them, you had an idea of what this God looked like or what in turn you were physically worshipping. And they were quite important to, to the people of the ancient Near East and were a part of everyday culture. This was just their lives. And we see Israel along their journey attempting to copy a lot of this stuff. We see them worship objects and, and worship other gods. And it's angered God because physical items weren't to be worshipped. It was God alone who was meant to be worshipped. And although God was not invisible in his acts that he did for his people, he was still a faceless God. And we see that Israel is influenced by the faces of gods around them. Now Yahweh God being the faceless God requires ongoing faith and allowing his, his image to be seen through his people. So the word salem, representation, likeness, and similar in appearance, if used in the context of Genesis society, it makes a lot of sense when they're trying to balance out images and appearance. But we know God doesn't have a physical image for us to draw on. The image of God does not necessarily refer to his arms, legs, even though there's references to it in other portions of scriptures where this may just be metaphorical. So we have these words that kind of give us a little bit of insight, but not a complete understanding of what it is. Because these words in English mean something different to us in our time. Now also, the Imago Day in the context of Genesis. At the time of this being written, I mentioned this earlier, there were, there were other large societies around this little people of Israel, Egypt, Mesopotamia, and they had common beliefs in images of gods and what they were meant to be. Both Egyptian and Assyrian views of gods or kings were viewed as representatives of, of a deity. So the statues were representing that deity there. The spirit of their god was in that piece of uh, whatever the material was. And images were so sacred to these people where they would put a large one in their town because that represents who we stand for or we have the protection of this certain God because they stand in this image here. The Egyptians also believed that their king represented, represented God on earth. And we see also in the Old Testament where the humans represent God. So we see the high priest of Israel representing his people in the Holy of Holies for the forgiveness of sins. So 
So we start to see, dig a little bit further and see what this might slowly begin to mean. Someone representing the image. But the final image for me, and it reveals everything into what this is, and everyone is free to, free to disagree with me. And I think that's, and I believe that's Jesus. We have this in the Old Testament, a, a God who, who is by no means invisible by his works for his people, but yet they struggle to put a face to him. And then we see Jesus come in the flesh, and there is a face to God. We see in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15, he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And in chapter 2, verses 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, the incarnation or Jesus becoming flesh is not always easy to understand. Uh, I think if we had to explain it, sometimes we, we struggle with it, let alone those who may not believe it trying to understand it. However, we see the image of God revealed in flesh. And we see through Christ the opportunity to restore us to that original image that God had for humanity when he created them. The relationship that was intended from the beginning between us and God, where we sought for us to be his image bearers among society, is possible. For when the gospel takes hold of our lives and the Holy Spirit directs us, although we are fallen, we start to project somewhat of an image of us. And we see God represented in our days, in our lives. We are created creatures of our Father. And when we begin to reflect in our lives what God intended from the beginning, before sin tainted us, that was good in God's eyes, we begin to bear Christ's image. And the only way this is possible is by having Jesus in our lives and looking to his model of living. How will society know that Christ lives in us? In many ways, our society is not different from the Genesis society. You know, in our society, we have, we have idols in many different forms. How many times I hear famous people being interviewed, uh, successful, fa successful people being interviewed saying, who was your idol growing up? And they would, you know, list off maybe a few or one. You know, talk about the idol influenced them in their lives and how they have made them who they are in, that, in this time. In our society, we, we, we look after people who we want to be. We might not we might want to reach their level and succeed beyond it, beyond it. The ones who we look up to as our image are the ones we're gonna copy. If I'm obsessed with a sports star and wish to be as good as them, I'll look at their training schedule, diet, daily routine, try to look like them and personify them in my life. 
And this, this isn't unusual in our society. It's, it's, it's not strange to, to look at someone and go, oh, I want to be like them. And is looking up to people wrong? I don't think it's wrong. But when they become my object of worship, when they become the direction of who I want to be, that's where I start to then step back a little. So the Imago Day is a, it's a very difficult thing to understand. I didn't want this morning to come here and fill you, fill you full of knowledge. I actually wanted us to start wrestling with this portion of Scripture because it is so important for us today as it was back in the time of Genesis. We see that God created everything for a purpose. And he had a desire, a specific desire for his creation to be a certain way. God had a purpose for us where he wanted us to reflect him in our lives. When he says, go and have dominion of the earth, go multiply. He didn't say, go and trash my, trash my creation. He didn't say, go do whatever you want. The word dominion there is actually care. Care for my society. But even when multiplying, I don't think God ever envisioned his people to, to mistreat it the way we have. And we start to blur and distort this image of what he had for us. And how grateful I am for Christ's life, not just his death. He gave us a perfect example of the image of God. And if Christ is our image, the one who we seek to emulate, then he's not just real amongst us, but he makes us reflect God. Now, it's not always easy for us to, to understand. Now, the best way I can kind of try and sum this up for you guys is Imagine that, imagine that we're mirrors and we're, and we're tilted towards our Father in heaven. And then when people look into us, they see a reflection of a light that comes from above. Now I'm simply just saying, be like Jesus. Just such a typical and simple thing that you might hear in church. And this isn't something new for, for Christians to, to hear. Imitate the life of God the life of Jesus. And yet we need this reminder over and over and over because we fail at this constantly. I think if we're truly honest with ourselves and we start to look at our own image, what is it that we will see? When you interact in your daily lives with people, are you a reflection of God? Or a reflection of something else. It's not a matter of making anyone feel guilty. Because we all fail at this a lot of the times. And this is why I want to bring our attention back to this idea of the image of God. Because it's not something to be glossed over. But it is something for us to wrestle with. It's not something to be arrogant about to say that I have the correct answer. And I know and I have, I've heard this before. But it's to daily ask ourselves, do I represent God? 
God has created an image to represent himself in this world. That's us, his believers. Let us be that image. Let us strip ourselves of other images that we, that we seek to be. Because it's all around us, just like it was in the time of Genesis. And let our response in our belief and our faith and our, our daily living be a response to our society of our expression of faith. Let us be the image of God in this world. May the Lord bless his word. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that although we always fail to be perfect and we never will be, we thank you, Lord, that we have grace given to us by you, that your intended designs don't fall wayward, but you've continually reinforced it through history and in our day today. I pray, Lord God, that we leave here not confused, but leave here excited about, about your image, excited about portraying the one that we love and who we claim to follow. I pray, Lord God, that each heart here is touched and, and moves out of these doors, Lord, remembering this message that we are your image and that you love us, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.